0: Would you open the Bibles that you brought to John chapter 10 this morning? It was a Christmas Eve when the kids were having their play. Kids were dressed up as shepherds, Joseph and Mary, and the manger was simply a light bulb hidden in the hay to speak of Jesus illuminating the world. At the right time, all of the stage lights were to go off, leaving that one solitary light illuminating the entire platform. Well, the kid who was in charge of the lights got his cues wrong, and he turned off all of the lights, including the manger. It was a tense moment, and finally one of the shepherd kids said, dummy, you switch Jesus off. (laughs) Switching Jesus off is done every year at this time all over the world. Let's get rid of him. Let's go to happy holidays. Uh, Even some churches want to dismiss it altogether. We have lights. We see them up here on the platform, the trees behind us. You drive through neighborhoods, there are lights everywhere. If a visitor from another country who didn't know Christmas traditions were to visit our country, in seeing all of the light displays, he might think we're actually celebrating lights, that it would be the festival of lights. Well, actually, it is. One of the names for Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication, is the Festival of Lights because of this Hanukkiah, this menorah that you see up front. Why do we use lights? Why do you see them on houses and businesses and church platforms, etc.? Well, actually, way back in the 14th century, when... Some of the Christians were celebrating the feast of Adam and Eve by putting a fir tree in public places and hanging apples on them, which spoke of the tree of life in the garden. Then later on, they introduced that same tree at Christmas time with lights on the tree to speak of Jesus as the light of the world. In fact, did you know that one of the first uses of Christmas trees in homes was by Martin Luther himself, who put candles on the tree and gathered the kids around and said, the world is in eternal darkness were it not for the birth of Christ. The world would be relegated to an eternity of darkness, but Jesus is the light of the world. And so from that time on, the churches and Christians began to introduce the Christmas tree into their homes. But... The use of lights this time of the year predates the 16th century, predates the 14th century, and even predates the time of Jesus Christ. Today, we celebrate not only Christmas, but the festival of lights. In fact, Jesus himself never celebrated Christmas. You know, he didn't say, it's my birthday today, I want you disciples to celebrate this. But rather, Jesus did celebrate the Festival of Lights. And that's why I brought you this morning to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. We find this was an historic celebration. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Allow me to give you a brief historical sketch of what Jesus and the others in Jerusalem were celebrating this Feast of Dedication. There was a guy who thought himself to be pretty great. In fact, he became known as Alexander the Great, and he had a dream to make everybody in the world Greek, to Hellenize the world. Well, he conquered a lot of it, but he didn't manage to do that. But he had four generals that were next to him. Cassander, Lysimachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. You're going to have a test on this at the end, by the way. And uh, those were his four guys, his leaders. When Alexander the Great was dying and they said, who should have the kingdom? He said, give it to the strong. And it was divided up into four areas and four of the generals took over those four areas. One of the most important areas was taken over by a guy named Seleucus, and the Seleucid Empire up north in Syria became the empire that we're talking about. The eighth ruler in the Seleucid dynasty was a guy by the name of Antiochus IV, the brother of Cleopatra, and uh, he uh, decided that he would take up Alexander's cause and make everybody Greek by culture. Antiochus the was an ardent worshiper of Zeus. He wanted to have everybody in the world worship Zeus. In fact, he even said he was the incarnation of Zeus. He called himself by the name Antiochus Epiphanes. You heard Marty use the name, which means Antiochus God manifest in the flesh. He even minted a coin. With his bust on the front and on the back it read, Antiochus, image of God, bearer of victory. Antiochus the great, God manifest. The Jews, however, gave him another name. Antiochus Epimenes, the beast. And Marty kind of alluded to why. Why? After Antiochus was defeated by the Romans in Alexandria, Egypt, when he was on his way back home to Syria, he decided to stop in Jerusalem and vent all of his anger and rage out on the Jews. He killed 80,000 Jews in one fell swoop. He took 40,000 of them captive on his way back to Syria. He decided to dedicate the temple to Zeus, put a statue of Zeus in it, prostitutes in the temple killed a pig, spread its juices all over the temple, the most unclean, unkosher meat you could find, forbade anybody to keep the law, forbade anybody to keep the Sabbath, and if you were caught with a copy of the scriptures, you were killed. No Jewish circumcision, no keeping of the feasts. History tells us there were those who defied him. Two mothers in Jerusalem decided on the eighth day to have their baby boys circumcised. Antiochus found out about it. Want to know what he did? He took the two babies and killed them in front of their mother and hung the babies around the mother's neck, marched them through Jerusalem, and then threw the mothers with the baby over the wall into the Kidron Valley until they died. Josephus said there were others who defied. One mother with seven children said, I will not obey anything that you say. Antiochus Epiphanes, through his emissary, had the tongues of the boys cut out of their mouths. The boys flayed on a hot iron in front of their mothers. Then the boys were killed and finally the mothers were killed. That was the kind of oppression the Jewish people were under. Until one day, some miles south of Jerusalem in a little village by the name of Modin... A Hasmonean priest by the name of Mattathias said, Enough is enough. And when one of Antiochus's men came into his town and put up a statue to Zeus slash Jupiter and commanded everybody in town to worship before this statue, it was Mattathias who said, We won't do it, and took a knife and killed that soldier. And the revolt was on, the Maccabean Revolt. Mattathias died in the process, and his son Judas Maccabeus took up the brunt of the revolt and managed to defeat the entire Syrian army, the Seleucid army, driving them back. And the first thing that he was going to do was dedicate the temple. That's where the feast of dedication comes in. As Marty said, they found only one cruise of oil, enough oil to light the menorah, the lampstand in the temple for one day. But it lasted eight days. And that eight-day celebration was the feast that we read about here that Jesus is celebrating in Jerusalem in John chapter 10. And it was the feast of dedication, and it was winter. So, on the 25th day of Kislev in the Jewish calendar, which is today, it corresponds with December 25th, today. It's a very rare occurrence On the 25th day of Kislev, that first light was lit in the temple, and the temple was dedicated back to God. So, Jesus was celebrating Hanukkah in the temple. That's how Jesus was celebrating Christmas. And it is so appropriate that the light of the world be walking through the temple on the day of the festival of lights. It's so appropriate, isn't it? It was predicted of him in Isaiah chapter 9, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has shined. When Jesus was just a baby, you remember he was brought into the temple on the eighth day, according to Jewish law, to be circumcised. And there was an old man by the name of Simeon. It said he was a righteous man, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the Messiah to come. As soon as he saw Jesus, he looked up into heaven and he prayed, Your servant can now depart in peace, O Lord, for my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That's the background. Now look at verse 24. An important subject comes up. The Jews surrounded him. This is Hanukkah. And said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now that word surrounded is not a friendly term. The Greek word that is employed here means to surround someone with the possibility of enforcing an issue. It's a bunch of thugs gathering around him. I remember once being in India We were preaching on the street, and a group of people surrounded us. And I said, hey, we're gathering a crowd. And my friend said, this is not the kind of crowd you want. (laughs) These people want to stone you. I said, oh, great. They surrounded Jesus. They're listening intently, but they want to do Him harm. Now, again, look at the reference here. It's Hanukkah. And the most important thing on the Jewish leader's mind is the identity of Jesus Christ. It's Kislev, 25th of that month. And the most important, crucial thing on the leaders of the Jews' minds is, Who is this Jesus? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. We want to know from your own lips. Talk to us. Well, folks, things haven't changed all that much. That's still on people's minds today. Do you notice that every Christmas the obligatory news articles come out and specials come out on television? Who really was Jesus? Where really was Jesus born? Was it Bethlehem? Was Mary his real mother? And all of this stuff comes out every year. Christmas and Easter, you can count on it. People are wondering, who is Jesus? The Jewish leaders of the New Testament once said, you are born of fornication. They identified him as an illegitimate child of Mary and Joseph. Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist when Jesus came, said, this must be John the Baptist risen from the dead. And there have been so many opinions as to the identity of Christ. Some people think he's one of the ascended masters. Islam relegates him to one of the many prophets that showed up in history. Napoleon said he is more than a man. The German rationalist Strauss said he is the highest model of religion, and in the 1960s, a film came out saying Jesus Christ was a superstar, and the opinions still continue. There's a group that meets twice a year. They call themselves the Jesus Seminar, and they decide we're going to set Jesus free from the resurrected ideal, from the divinity ideal. Jesus wasn't divine. He wasn't resurrected. That's the stuff people made up. And we're here to free Jesus Christ from that. They say, here's their opinion, Jesus may have been a carpenter. He was probably illiterate and belonged to a low caste of artisans. He did not preach salvation from sin through sacrifice. He never cured any diseases. As for other miracles, no loaves and fishes, no water into wine, no raising of Lazarus, and certainly no resurrection. What happened to the body then? Most likely, we believe, it was consumed by wild dogs. Now, they have absolutely no evidence of any of the claims that they are saying, that there were A body consumed by wild dogs. This is stuff that they decide in a room twice a year to make up and publish. And as long as you have any kind of a letter after your name like P.H.D. It's got to be now the truth. So we're here, they say, to set Jesus free. Don't bother. Jesus himself, the resurrected Messiah, is free without any help of man. Now, finally, look at this unexpected sermon that he preaches. They ask him, tell us plainly who you are. Look, look how he answers this. Interesting sermon. Jesus answered, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then look at this. I and my Father are one. An interesting answer. It's a very short sermon. Basically, he's saying, I have nothing more to say to you. I've already said it to you. You didn't believe me then. You don't believe me now. And the reason being is you're not one of my sheep. Oh, and by the way, not only am I your Messiah, I'm God. How's that for a sermon on Hanukkah in the temple of Jerusalem? Those are Jesus' claims. The word that he uses, I and my father are one, it's a neuter pronoun, hen. It means one in substance. One in substance, one in nature. And the Jewish leaders knew exactly what Jesus was saying because in verse 31, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. You know why? Because that's the punishment for blasphemy according to Leviticus 24. Anybody that makes that claim who isn't God, stone him. They knew that Jesus claimed to be God. And it's a present active. You are continually, constantly making yourself out to be God. That's his sermon. So how did Jesus celebrate Christmas? He celebrated the 25th of Kislev, the Festival of Lights, the Feast of Dedication. that celebrated that dedication of the temple after the fall to it of Antiochus Epiphanes. Verse 39, we'll close at this text at least in this section. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. Let me rephrase that in in today's vernacular using this lampstand. They wanted to extinguish that light, but the light was removed from their midst. The light walked away. They wanted to get it out, Jesus left, the light left them. Now, this is where we're going to end. Turn with me to John 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, you all know it probably. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. There was a man from God whose name was John. This man came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That, that is Jesus, was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Basically summed up, light came into the world And anyone who encounters him will be enlightened by him. Look quickly again at verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now I'm going to give you what I consider a better translation. Listen to it. That was the true light which coming into the world gives light to every man. In other words, verse 9 is all about the incarnation. Jesus, the light, when he came into the world, born in Bethlehem, born in a manger, growing up, walking among the Jews, he, the light of the world, that incarnation gives light to everyone, which brings up a question. Why did God become a man? Why the incarnation? Why leaving heaven and coming to this earth? Why did that light need to come? For two reasons. Number one, to show the world how utterly dark we are. To show the world how utterly dark it is. In John chapter 15, Jesus said to the Jewish leaders these words, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and have also hated both me and my Father. Now listen. Before Jesus came to this earth, people lived in a relative goodness. They had a relative self-righteousness. As soon as Jesus came and he showed the standard of God, he showed us all up, and that light made us all feel dark. You know what it's like when you put a flashlight into somebody's eyes, they've grown accustomed to the dark, and you turn on the light or you put a flashlight in their eyes, good morning. They go, ah! They react because they're so used to the darkness and that light is so bright, it can hurt. Over in John chapter 3, and I promise, we'll close with this chapter. Verse 19 This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. I heard about a businessman from China who visited America and he was fascinated by an invention that was new to him at the time. It was the microscope. They showed you could put flowers and pieces of ice and see that microscopic world and beauty and in detail. And he said, I must have one. He bought one, took it home to China. But he made the mistake when one night at dinner time he wanted to show his family how cool this was, he decided I'm going to take a little bit of the rice that I am eating and put it under the microscope and look at it, detail and beauty. And he looked and he was Amazed to see tiny microscopic critters crawling all around his food. And he showed his family, and they were so grossed out by it. And you know what he did to solve the problem? He took the microscope and he went out and he smashed it. He decided to destroy the very thing that revealed the truth of what he was eating. men love darkness rather than light. And rather than leaving the darkness and coming to the light, let's smash that which gives the light. Let's extinguish that light. I can't handle it. Hence the cross. So number one, the light came into this world to show us how dark we are. Number two, Jesus came light into this world to lead us out of darkness. To lead us out of darkness. To show us the way out. The world has no light of its own has no goodness of its own, no righteousness of his own apart from God. And in showing us how dark and utterly needful we are, then God says, psst, come here, I'll show you how to get out. And thus he light enlightened our path. And so Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Today is Christmas Day. Tonight is Christmas Night. Which means tomorrow morning, it's all done. It's over with, and it'll be another year before it comes again. I'm going to close with this little story I found. Think about it tonight before you go to bed. It's Christmas night. The house is quiet. Even the crackle is gone from the fireplace. Warm coals issue a lighthouse glow in the darkened den. Stockings hang empty on the mantle. The tree stands naked in the corner. Christmas cards, tinsel, and memories remind Christmas night of Christmas Day. What a day it's been. Spice tea, Santa Claus, cranberry sauce. Thank you so much, one says. Oh, you shouldn't have, says another. Grandma's on the phone. Knee-deep wrapping paper. It just fits. Flashing cameras. It's Christmas night. The midnight hour has chimed, and I should be asleep, but I'm awake. I'm kept awake by one stunning thought. The world was different this week. It was temporarily transformed. The magical dust of Christmas glittered on the cheeks of humanity ever so briefly, reminding us of what is worth having and what we were intended to be. It's Christmas night. In a few hours, the cleanup will begin. The lights will come down. The trees will be thrown out. Size 36 will be exchanged for size 40. (laughs) Eggnog will be on sale for half price. Soon, life will be normal again. December's generosity will become January's payments. And the magic will begin to fade. But for the moment, the magic Is still in the air. Maybe that's why I'm still awake. I want to savor the spirit just a bit more. I want to pray that those who beheld him today will look for him next August. And I can't help but linger on one fanciful thought. If he can do so much with such timid prayers lamely offered in December, how much more could he do if we thought of him every day? Lord, of all the people we need to say Merry Christmas to, it would be you. Of all the ones that deserve the happy birthday, it is you. Though we can't be certain when you were born, that is so unimportant. What is important is that you came, God, as a baby. The light into a dark world, And by your light you showed us our darkness, but by your life you lead us out.